I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is the new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host also known as the Brain Broad. In fact, more commonly lately known as the Brain Broad. I am so excited to have you here today. We are going to forego the OK, 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 great guest giveaway because I don't have one. So, you know, if somebody shows up before the end of the, of the recording, great. But otherwise, we are just going to chat about family relationships today. We're really blessed, as we always are. We are such a lucky show, really. The most wonderful people show up at the most opportune times. I'm a very last-minute uh, booker when it comes to my show. And always the universe says, here's somebody that you would like to talk to. And sure enough, that happened yet again because the universe is extremely generous. You can replace the word universe with God or Allah or whatever suits your crank, whatever makes you comfortable. I'm happy with it all. All right, we are going to talk with Stacy James Wheeler, and we're going to start right off on the fact that he's making jokes about his name being Stacy. And just before we started recording, I said, "Dude, you know, Stacy Keach, he's a, he's a masculine guy," and he's like, "Yeah, but I'm sure he took some crap for that female name." So we'll we'll talk about that just to break the ice and get into the story of the day. But the point of today's show is really, you know, what's it like? For someone who's in, like, what I haven't done already is talk to another adult who has an adult in their life, a sibling adult, that has low-functioning autism. And I think this is a very important thing to sort of throw around with somebody because everybody out there in the world of autism is talking tragedy and isn't it terrible. And I just loved how this man talked about his brother and he was showing me pictures and stuff. So you are going to be delighted to hear someone love on his brother um, and no, regardless of functioning level. So that's going to be fun. Stacy James Wheeler is a family dynamics researcher, speaker, and author of The Stepdad's Guide, Resolving Family Conflict. I love this. I love that somebody's speaking up for stepdads, and especially in the world of autism, holy cow, it's almost always a stepdad because marriages just sort of fall by the wayside when um, autism is diagnosed and everybody's worrying and pointing fingers and, and feeling stressed out. And so by the time you regroup, you're often remarrying. So it'll be wonderful to talk to him about that a little bit too because he's the founder of stepdadding.com. Isn't that cool? Stepdadding. Uh, it's a site dedicated to help stepdads succeed and his older brother, Joe is autistic. So what an interesting dynamic to have an older brother that's autistic. So let's start by saying hello, Stacy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Annette. It was uh, so wonderful meeting you by pure chance uh, last week. And uh, obviously we, we had quite a bit in common. And, uh, it, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was sort of sitting back listening to you talk about what you do and, you know, what your area's specialty are. And uh, I, for the life of me, I haven't a clue why I, I hadn't really, it seems like we would have run into each other before, but uh, well, I immediately 
you know, my, my, uh, my heart immediately wrapped around yours because, you know, we have so many experiences that are similar and you're doing work that helps people who are autistic. And my brother being someone who's severely autistic, I, your work is so important. I, I'm just fired up to be talking to you again. Oh, well, thank you so much, Stacey. I appreciate it. I think probably part of the reason you haven't run into me before is I work outside of the system. So I don't align or with any of the associations, so I don't get into the politics. We just talk about whatever we think will help people. That means that um, I'm a little lesser known, but highly valued. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's so that might be why. For, for those who know what you do, uh, you can't do anything but value that. It's it's a labor of love, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So what was it like? So first of all, let's talk about, we're, we're going to do the stepdad thing after break, but first let's talk about what it was like to have an older brother who was severely autistic and give us a sense of you guys' ages, where you're from, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the youngest of four boys raised by a single mom, and uh, Joey was number two. So we have, oh, just about uh, 16, 17 months between, excuse me, that's not right, 27, 18, yeah, about, about 20 months between us. So it was, my mother roughly had one child a year, uh, <laughs> a couple months to recover. So, you know, 14 months between each of us, give or take. Um, so he was my big little brother as I was growing up. It was uh, strange to be responsible for your older brother a great deal of time. Yeah, I'm sure. So, and his functioning level. Well, like, okay, give me a story. Let's start with. Um, he's got this older brother. He's got some challenges. Does he speak? He is very, very limited in speaking. Um, he, you know, it's interesting. Uh, over the years, we worked with him considerably. My mother a great deal, and uh, you know, it's, it's never been sentences. It's been a, just a, a word or two. Um, we used to do Joey impressions. We were really paying homage to Joe. Me and my friends, when we would order coffee, we'd say, coffee, you know, the way Joe says. He would do the mannerisms. I can't do that, actually, without doing his mannerisms. It was just funny. My mother used to get really irritated. She's like, well, don't make fun of your brother. I go, we're not making fun of him. Everybody loves Joey. I mean, my friends would we'd be out having coffee when I was, like, 19. In the middle of the night, we'd all be ordering coffee and acting like Joey, and the wait staff would be on, what is wrong with this table? And it's, everybody loved Joey. <laughs> it was wonderful. But he, his functioning was very low. So, you know, when he speaks, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, last week, my, my, he, he lives with my brother currently in Washington State. who's my oldest brother, and he has this amazing connection with him. And um, he had posted a video on Facebook. of uh, They went out to ice cream, and they had Joe say, hey, uh, you know, I want ice cream. And uh, it was just so cool because they it, Facebook's wonderful because you put this stuff out there and it reminds you of stuff you forgot. First of all, I never forget Joey, but I forget how many other people love him. I have cousins all over the country going, go Joe, you know, and all these really amazing comments. And it just reminds me, you know, it shows sometimes a lot of work, but man, he's adored. Yeah, and that's actually why I wanted to talk to you because that's something I see, especially on Facebook. You get the opportunity to see the kind of support that everyone has. You know, someone will post something like, you know, uh, you know, today he brushed his teeth up and down instead of side to side, and everyone's like, awesome work, dude. And, right, and here you have this place that never existed in the past where 
strangers become friends, where causes align, where people that already know you can love you in a in a out front and in public kind of way. It's just actually really gorgeous used correctly. And in autism, you see it so much. So here, here you've got all these people trying to raise money, um, complaining about the tragedy of it. And sure, there's, you know, you'd rather your your brother was able to function in a different way, perhaps. But but he's lovable as he is. So what's what's what you love most about him? Oh, he's, he's probably there's that twinkle in his eye when I know he's up to something. It's interesting because he's. Uh, you know, as is often the case with many, you know, low-functioning autistics, they have some strange skills that, you know, are, are way above the level of other people. And uh, we used to call him Houdini because he could get out of anything. You know, he, he couldn't couldn't pin Joey in if he wanted to get out. But it was interesting. He'd sit in the in the living room with him, and he'd get this look on his face, and uh, you know, he's about to do something that he's not supposed to. And it's sort of you a little twinkle. And uh, I'd just give him a minute or so, and then whatever it was he was planning, he would do. Usually it was, you know, seeing a door that wasn't quite locked or something and making his getaway. But uh, I, I always, uh, you know, it's funny when I think of Joey. I always think of his, his, his goofy smile he sometimes gets, this twinkle in his eye, and the fact that if coerced enough, he'll hug you. <laughs> I think he hugs like he's afraid to hurt you. But uh, <laughs> I guess one of the top hugs I ever got was a hug from Joey. There you go. And and so tell me, your your other brother and Joey lived together, and how did that transpire? At one point, excuse me, at one point, uh, Joey lived with my wife and I. By the way, she is a bigger Joey fan than me, if that's possible. <laughs> uh, she is, she's crazy. And I, it's strange, when man's 50 and we still call him Joey, which is no getting around it. It's always Joey or Hey Jose, one of the two. And um, so he, he was living with us for a while. And then my oldest brother, who's always had, he's always been Joey's, you know, he's my big little brother, but he's always been Brian's little, little brother. And since the day he was born, Brian's been the person who looked after him. And they have this amazing connection. So he lives there with Brian. And it's, I, I can't imagine a better place for him because they have this amazing rapport. Brian's self-employed and Joey goes everywhere with him. And Brian has a truck, and Joey, like most little kids, he loves the truck. So you know, he gets, he gets, he just has a wonderful time, uh, and he's perfect fit for Brian and Brian's lifestyle. That's really neat. Actually, that's a lot like how it is with. Um, so I had eight kids, as you know, but one of my sons is lower functioning, and uh, so he's still at home, and all the rest have gone and been miraculous and moved on in their lives but not not dar he's sort of grows at the speed of a tree growing and um and the size of a tree actually and so uh, he loves to just be a part of our family and there's so many of us that that there's always a place for him and because of that there's a kind of integration that happens so this is what i i love about the sound of your family um, is it just you and your one brother, or other family members sometimes hang out with Joey? Tell me a bit about that. We uh, we actually did a, a road trip, my wife and I, this summer, and it was we had four days. And we're like, what do you want to do? And, and she said, what, what if we go see Joey? And I I never tell Brian that she said that. <laughs> I wouldn't want him to take it wrong. It's not that she didn't want to see Brian. It's just that Joey's, you know, he's sort of an attractive target, you know, because he's just such a wonderful guy and he always makes you happy. And 
my uh, we have another brother, Sam, who's uh, he's actually retired from the military. But he's medically retired. He has a lot of medical issues from all the wear and tear on his body over the years, and he's been depressed lately. And my uh, my oldest brother and I were talking, and I said, you know what? What can we do? We got to get him to snap out of his this sort of funk that he's in. And he said, you know what? We should get the four brothers together. It always cheers him up when Joey's around. And uh, that's that's sort of the nature of our are this group of brothers is, you know, my, my mom's passed away long ago. And, uh, but there's this really amazing core strength to this, this group of guys that I'm, I'm blessed to be part of. And, uh, somehow Joey seems to be the heart of it. That's really neat. That's really special. So involved in conversations where people are devaluing the, you know, the contribution of the severely autistic person and you had to step up and say, hey, dudes, or talk to me a little bit about that, because it's a really big issue out there in the world. Well, one of the most beautiful things I think about the autistic is they're 100% face value. What you see is what you get, whereas, you know, a lot of folks through the day that you pass, you know, say your average person on the street, the new person that you meet, you have to always wonder what their agenda is. And you have to wonder whether, you know, doing business with them or being around them is going to put you in any bad position. And with the autistic and, and so many other special needs people, you know, what you see is what you get. And they're just, they're, they're all heart. And you don't have to sit around worrying about their agenda. They're just wonderful to be around. And, yeah, I mean, it, growing up, it was terribly embarrassing from time to time. I'm, you know, I'm a guy with this brother who does these weird, embarrassing things, you know. And, uh, but now it's, it's funny. My wife and I talk about a lot of the things that uh, Joey's done over the years and, it's, it's it's pretty hilarious now, you know, the things that at uh, times were embarrassing are now, you know, the things we laugh about. And right, of course, but you have really to, now you have to tell us one. <laughs> okay, here's, here's a wonderful one. So Amber, my wife, she uh, she went up uh, to get Joey at one point. Uh, when we were in Washington, she went to California to, to pick up Joey and come cross country. And at the same time, she picked up her nephew, who had never met Joey. And he's, uh, I think he was about 11 or 12 at the time. And uh so what, at some point along the, the road, of course, it's quite a long drive, uh, she, she had Gregory, my nephew, go ahead and take Joey into the restrooms at the rest stops. And Joey's got pica, which is, you know, it's a, it's a disorder where you, for some reason, eat strange things. And Joe's, one of Joe's favorites is uh, cigarette butts. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, FYI, the reason that you eat strange things is because you're nutritionally deficit in that area and you can't absorb it usually so you'll crave um he's probably craving the the charcoal or something like that but anyway that's like it's going. probably so yeah yeah that's actually good. it's probably good to explain that to the listeners for those who aren't familiar with it so gregory had taken joey into a restroom and he was in there just a short moment and people just kind of came grown men came pouring out looking over their shoulder with like this look of shock and you know joey looks very you know I don't like the term, but it's the only way to say it, I guess, is normal. You know, he, he doesn't really stand out, except when he's, you know, doing, you know, maybe rocking or shaking his hands or something. But he, otherwise, he presents very normally. And so then all these guys come pouring out, and then Gregory comes out and says, I need your help, I need your help. And Amber says, what's the problem? He says, well, he won't stop eating cigarette butts. So apparently there was an ashtray in there, and... Joey walks in looking perfectly normal and just starts shoving cigarette butts in his mouth. And all these people are thinking, what the heck is going on? 
they were just shocked. And so Amber, you know, at that point, Gregory was just beyond himself. He doesn't know what to do. He's 11 or something. And uh, so she, as a grown woman, walks into a men's room and leads a grown man out. <laughs> He's got charcoal all around his mouth from eating cigarette butts. And that's probably one of the less shocking things he's done. But, uh, okay, so let's, I'll, share, I'll share a men's room one. I'll share a men's room one. So one of my favorite things is to stand, you know, my son will go into the men's room. Actually, this doesn't really happen anymore. It's probably not happened for maybe the last four years. But previous to that, I'd be standing outside the men's room, and I would just amuse myself by the expressions on the faces of the men as they exited the men's room, knowing that my son was in there. Um, he would never use the urinal. He would always sit on the stall and hang his head all the way down and put his, his head on the, on the floor while he passed the bowel movement because his colon needed to be compressed and it was the only way he could do it. And, of course, while he's there, he's going... And, right, and kind of looking around at everyone's feet and they're all, oh, my gosh, i got to get out of here. And he doesn't shut the stall door. So I I know this is going to happen, and I'll just stand outside the men's room and just amuse myself by the expressions on their faces. And this one day, this guy comes out, and he's uh, he goes, whew, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I said, oh, excuse me, that's my son in there. He's special. And somebody else was walking out. And he said, oh, I thought he was drunk. Can I help? Is there anything I can do? I said, well, you can make sure he wipes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the man says, absolutely. Well, how do I do that? I said, just walk back in and say, uh, remember to wipe, dude, and flush the toilet. And he said, I'll do it. <laughs> so here's this, we have these two extremes. Right? We have the one man who wants to be all grossed out and this other man who wants to be useful. And that's really, for me, one of the greatest gifts of a very challenged person at your side is they, they sort of divide the quality of humans as, as you walk. You know, the people that want to step forward and be beautiful are sort of made obvious. Have you noticed that? I have. It is interesting too, and there's very few people I think that we had a lot of. I had a lot of different reactions from friends in high school and, and you know junior high growing up that would come home and they'd meet Joey for the first time, and I think there was maybe only one exception where somebody didn't eventually take to him. And you know, I mean, the, the high fives we get on Facebook are from people that met Joey when they were you know 25, 30 years ago, back when we all lived in the same place and we all went to high school together. Uh, but you, you do, you see this this interesting, I mean, that story is beautiful because that, that was a beautiful person with a great heart. And right. it, it is embarrassing I, to, you know, be talking to another adult in a stall. There's been plenty of times where I stood there making sure my brother shook, zipped up, you know, and, and I'm and right. standing by a urinal with grown men explaining to another grown man who looks perfectly normal to them that he should be doing something a certain way. It looks a little bit peculiar if you don't know the backstory. Uh, right. So it's kind of cool when a total stranger has that kind of heart. Totally cool. And and I also noticed the same things with my son when, you know, it's funny because the other boys were higher functioning. And so they lived, even though they all have autism, there's a very different experience. And so here is this lower functioning boy, and he was the star. Everywhere he went in school, everybody wanted to be the one that he, that knew him, that he knew, that just the same experience you're saying. But then you have that other side where you're in the bathroom doing this or that, and you're trying to to show the world how it's done and show him how it's done and find a way for him to assimilate. And it's just actually, you know, you can be embarrassed 
or you can see the beauty of it and the opportunity in it. And that's why I'm amused when I stand back. I see the opportunity. I go, either guy, they both had an opportunity, and they both walked away with a new learning. And if we would do this with all our special people, we'd just have an integrated world. Well, it's interesting that, um, you know, if you, you watch, you do find who has a heart and, and whose heart's kind of hard. I remember in, in school growing up, we had one kid named Jerry, and he was, this was before, you know, special needs was embraced the way it is now and, and understood as well, probably. I graduated in 85, and I was in a very small community. And um, Jerry was, it's strange, it's almost like he was a mascot for a lot of us. Um, you know, people had their hearts wrapped around him, and on the rare occasion when someone would mess with them, people would come to his defense and that, they'd pin that person down, you know, they'd get him against the wall and say, you know, don't you screw with Jerry. And, you know, and no one ever did anything mean to him that I knew of outside of just, you know, petty nonsense, like putting a sign on him or something, you know. Uh, right. Childish, ridiculous stuff that people with low, low self-confidence do to other people to make themselves feel stronger. But it, I love it. I love that, that that, that existed. And I, I don't know where it's at now in school. It seems to me that there's more focus on kids being picked on. But uh, it is you know, nice maybe, to see that human spirit. Or, or maybe we should focus on it. You know, the problem is that it probably still exists in the same amount or certainly close to as what we saw, this kind of supportive, engaged community. But uh, when what's news is the bullying, then you kind of give bullies ideas. And it's not that I don't want uh, a form of justice or a form of enlightenment brought to the bully, but I think that way more often we should be telling this side so that people could say, hey, that's a good idea, I can do that. Or if I see, now, now my story may actually arm somebody that's in a similar situation in the restroom. And same for you. You have an opportunity to share a story where they go, oh, it's just some guy who's trying to get his nutritional deficit with those cigarette butts. (laughs) But you see, if you understand a thing, you don't get afraid. And you also don't feel as angry. So I think it's our obligation. I think I think only time will tell on on the anti-bullying campaign. You know, it's it's tough because it really comes down to good parenting, and uh, you can't really legislate common sense and kindness. It has to either be there, you know, and taught from a young age, or yeah, maybe, maybe on a rare occasion someone will learn after they do something horrible that that's a horrible thing to do. But I, I hope it does make a difference. And you're right; these kinds of conversations help. Oh, yeah, I think pro-kindness and rewarding have more power. Because as much as I, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't have an anti-bullying campaign at all, but I think if you just say what's wrong and you don't say what's right, nobody knows how to follow the better path. If we don't, if we don't you know, put glitter down on the road that's going to lead you to the high road, then nobody's going to know to follow it. So we need to do that. Well, it's true. You, you can't identify a problem and then ignore the solution. Uh, you know, right. you, you're going to, hey, the bat- the car doesn't start. Well, what's causing that? And how do right. we change it? Oh, we've got to change that battery and then things will be better. It's the same thing with people. You know, you can't just say, oh, don't you know, be better at math. Oh, okay, how do I do that? Uh, right, exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. Okay, give us one more Joey story. One more Joey story. Oh, wow, okay, which one's the really good one here? Um, they're always embarrassing. Uh, good. That's good. I, that's what I, I want us to laugh and smile at, at the things that other people think, oh, I would never be able to handle that. 
this one this one's so inappropriate but it's it's oh man it was, it was a, so this was the one where my daughters i had two daughters who were considerably younger than my my older brother obviously they were probably uh, uh 10 and 12 and they were uh, again they were on a road trip with mom and, and uncle joey and uh so they stopped at mcdonald's and there was a, a car next to him, like right up against us, you know, this is just enough room to get the door open. And it was full of college-age girls and looked like they were on a road trip and they were just having a ball. And Joey gets out of the car and, you know, he, he doesn't have a filter. So he turns around, closes the door, and he's pressed right up against, pretty much against their car. And he reaches back and he grabs his underwear and he just starts picking it out of, like, the worst <laughs> possible crevice and just yanking it to get his under, because he's been in the car for, you know, I get it. And these girls, <laughs> what's the best? First of all, my daughters are cringing because the girls in the car next to us are, they're looking and pointing, laughing, and like they're turning red, and they, they just, they can't control them. They have no idea. They don't know what this right. guy's about. They just can't, you know. And my poor daughters, they were just, uh, they didn't, like, Mom, get us something. We're not getting out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, yeah. he's, he's notorious for doing There's about a million stories of him doing something like that uh, from my childhood up that, uh, I was, yeah, gosh, when I was when I was young, I was embarrassed and ashamed, and because I had Joey as a brother, I it made me a stronger, better person because of my understanding of those things, because of my you know creating better inner strength, and being able to explain people like Joey to people and relate to them better. All right, and then there's also the becoming aware of the sensory discomfort as opposed to the manners. And you go, look, he's uncomfortable. We'll just tell him next time move aside a bit so you're not doing it right in their window. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we, we probably don't think very much about how much we filter ourselves every day. But, you know, when you're around someone like Joey, you go, wow, okay. I, can, I probably do filter the heck out of myself because there are times when I probably want to do that exact same thing. But I wait for a proper moment. Right. Exactly, exactly. You are listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host also known as The Brain Broad. We have a wonderful guest with us today. Stacy James Wheeler is a family dynamics researcher, speaker, and author of The Stepdad's Guide, Resolving Family Conflict. He's the founder of stepdadding.com, a site dedicated to help stepdads succeed. And we are having so much fun talking about his older brother, Joey, who is autistic, and he's severely autistic, so we have some really good stories. We're having a really good time. And before we get into letting him share a little bit of the stepdad uh, perspective, I wanted to point out that in some ways his wife has been a stepmom to Joey because Joey's the, the older, younger brother, sometimes almost like a son occasionally. So I thought maybe we could jump off of this, uh, this break and go to that, and then we'll talk about stepdad. So have you ever thought about that in a, in a way your, your wife has to stepmom your brother? That's a good way to put it. I, I hadn't really thought about that, but I, those those years where he did live with us, she really she really did take on that role, and she has a huge heart too. It, it's always interesting to me, you know. It, it never surprises me much when someone ends up falling for Joe because he's so wonderful. But it's interesting to me when someone like Amber can completely embrace him, and you know, I mean, she she did as much, if not more, work than I did to make sure that Joey had everything he wanted and was happy. And, you know, she, she treated him like one of the kids. Right. Right. And that's kind of the point to being 
a step parent of any kind is to be able to just say, hey, you're part of the family. Here, here, this is what we're going to do. So let's talk about how come you decided to be the voice for stepdads. How did that transpire, and what would you like the world to know? Well, it, it, it came to me sort of by accident. I, uh, yeah, I'm a stepdad, and so there's you know that immediate connection. But at, at some point in our marriage, it was it became a really big struggle, and we were very close to breaking up. I mean, to the point of selling out paperwork and to because we were fighting constantly. There was amazing amounts of stress. It was, it was just overwhelming. But there was, there was nothing wrong with us as a couple. No one was being abused. No one was, you know, using drugs or alcohol. You know, there was none of the classic things like cheating going on. It was just, why isn't this working? And I really, I just stopped and poured myself into it. I'm stubborn, and I wasn't going to give up. And, uh, you know, I love my wife. I love my kids. And all my kids... It was a package deal. I'm one of these guys who got to pick his wife and his children, and and the thought of not having them in my life, I I, I couldn't wrap my brain around that, or or I, I couldn't bend to it. So, what I found was through my research and years of re, years of research that I was applying as I was going and strengthening my relationship, strengthening my family, was that there's, there are key factors, some seven key factors that really impact nearly every step that and uh, that has an immediate ripple effect on the family and you know is responsible for these abysmal divorce rates that you know stepdads are about twice as likely to ask for a divorce as traditional family dads you know biological fathers and there's a reason for it and so I thought man I got to share this information with the world but there wasn't one place to do that there's no one place on the internet where you can get all the information that I gathered because a lot of it's just hard facts that are turned into Hey, this is this is what that means, by the way. And so I created stepdadding.com so that there was one great place for information and inspiration so that men and their wives could go and get the information they need to succeed and stay together and keep a happy family so kids don't have to keep watching their parents breaking up and, and going through that loss. That's awesome. So, all right, so you want to be supportive to that, and, and do you feel that your goal of helping other people has helped you be better at it as well? Oh, it really has. It's, um, I, think it's, I think it's like anything else. I mean, if you get up every day and you have something specific that you're thinking about and that you're working towards, say it's having the perfect lawn, it, you know, it becomes such a focus that you're – always looking for new ways to do it, do it better or improve the situation. And, I mean, that's the idea, too, behind the website, that it gives somebody a daily dose. They can go and get their daily dose of, of inspiration. Uh, and for me, it, it was definitely like that. Every day, I try to be a better parent, a better stepdad, a better coach, a better teacher, a better speaker. And it's all about that one topic. And it, it's... It started as a labor of love, and it's just grown from there. The, there are people out there who need the help, who want the help, and I can provide it at stepdadding.com you know, for free. It doesn't cost a thing to go get that information and find out that you know, you're not alone. You, you, you're struggling, and here are some of the reasons why that you don't even realize are affecting you. Maybe there's amazing stress caused by the biological dad who's involved because you don't have the right dynamic worked out with them. Maybe you can't work out the right dynamic. How do you get around that? How to not use your kids as a as a, a 
a rope and a tug of war between the parents. You know, uh, the other effects, you know, have you had these conversations with your wife that so you know exactly what she expects of you and you're, you're delivering that rather than what you think she wants. Sometimes men with the best of intentions try really hard and then just give up because they feel unappreciated because it, the wife is saying, oh, why are you acting that way? When all right. along they thought that's how they were supposed to act. Those things are real important, and we cover those on the website so the guys have a little bit more direction. And when they can't get enough direction, they can get the book, and that helps them even more because it helps them actually have those conversations. Because it's one thing to say, communicate better. It's something altogether different to say, here's how. Right, right. And then, and, and I mean, for the audience that primarily will be listening to the show, there's that extra wrinkle. I mean, you've, I don't know if you've heard the saying, but it's uh, men love women and women love that's the, <laughs> the triangle tragedy of life. So, um, you know, my answer to that is, men, if you want your woman to love you, love her children. It's pretty simple. You know, you can get, you can get to a guy through his stomach and get to a, a woman through her kids. But um, the problem is really extreme when nobody knows what to do because of a diagnosis of some kind and everyone's arguing in the first place. So here you have... Um, so we're back on the autism front. So not only are you step-parenting, but you're step-parenting a child with a diagnosis, and then everyone out in the field, it, all the medical personnel and all of the educators are disagreeing in the first place. So there isn't even somewhere where you can go and get your answers, and that all ends up back in the house. And probably the biological father's disagreeing with the biological mother, and then here you come along and you're trying to step parent in this special needs world. And I don't know if you've ever tried to stretch your mind there, but given that your brother was special, can you, and your mom was a single parent, you must have had some experience. You must have dated, or what would you say to people in that position? Yeah, there's, there's a, a huge. It has a huge effect on the family. My mother didn't remarry, and I think she did it by choice because kids are considered to be number one, and Joey was a huge part of that. It is challenging because, first of all, two biological parents rarely agree on how they're going to raise their kids. Two step-parents, you know, a step-parent and a biological parent, they they have to sit down and, and plan that out specifically and then get over the little turmoils that come along. When you have a, a child with special needs, you know, a child who's autistic, has very specific needs, uh, in a, in a, you know, you have a non-biological father in the picture, man, that is a whole nother level of turmoil. And I would be willing to bet that the divorce rate, the success rate is probably lower than 25%. I, I can't imagine that it could possibly be better. I mean, the, the worst case numbers for standard staff families are as high as 74. So the turmoil is what gets you the turmoil and the stress and you, you know, you got to have those conversations. So guys that are taking on that role, first of all, I'd almost guarantee everyone of them has a huge heart because you don't take that on without, without, you know, some, some amazing feature like that about you. I don't know what advice I'd give them other than to say that, the, the communication is, is vital. And the tough part, I think, about having an autistic child in the family in, in a circumstance like that is that you're right. There aren't answers. There's just understanding sometimes. And, you know, being a united front as parents and, you know, when, when all, all else fails, stop and hug. 
Yeah, I agree. And there's and I think you actually did say what's important, which is the word communication. If you're there is some advantage. So we're back to that whole idea of, you know, my son sort of divided the waters on the people that were gonna come forward and be useful and helpful and beautiful and the people that don't want anything to do with something that's so inconvenient and they sort of scurry away. And so when you have that's special true. Yeah. So when you have special kids the person that will come forward now they you know, you always want to look at someone's motivators and all that stuff because of course anything can be twisted. But but for the most part if you slowly move forward and I know because I didn't slowly move forward. I got married a lot really fast and went, Oops, wrong, mm, out. So <laughs> so take my word for it. If I'd have gone slower, I'd have known better than to get married that often. And um, you know, if you just take your time and say, you know, this is what my family's circumstances. Don't hide it. Don't be embarrassed by your child. Don't apologize for your child. This is your child. And, you know, if if you're interested in me and in my family, this is what we have to know. And just move slowly towards it and really, really communicate. You might have a better shot than the biological parents together because you're coming to it with an awareness um, of what you're what you're actually choosing. I, I agree, Lynette. I, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I think when you take the sort of contrary view of, of what um, sort of accepted reality is, that you get different sorts of uh, results when you apply it a little differently. As an example, it's a little off that, but still in the parenting thing, um, parents who, who blend families, who, have, who have, get married with a child or more, and they add another one, they're in some of the highest divorce rate groups you know, in, in those categories of step families. And one of the stories I feature in my, my upcoming book, uh, Stepdad 101, was about a guy who flipped that on its ear. When he found out his wife was pregnant, she had a teen daughter, and they immediately involved her in the process. She was there for all the appointments. She was, she was there to see the heartbeat on the monitor the first time, and she was there in the delivery room. And when her little sister came out, she grabbed hold of her finger. And my friend said, at that moment, we all became a family because now we are connected by this child. So you take the conventional wisdom, you know, some people have, of, oh, well, you know, you, you kind of keep it out of sight. You don't, you don't, you know, put it out there. No, you, you approach it with, from the reality of it. And right. however that manifests itself in your family is, you know, it's different with every family, but I think you get better results when you're just very straightforward with it like that. Right, absolutely. So it's about being creative and finding new maybe untried, effective ways of doing it that are going to work for your family. Right. I agree. Totally. So how can people find you if they need your support? If they need my support, they can find me at stepdadding.com. That's D-A-D-D-I-N-G. Uh, a lot of folks think I say stepdaddy. I think I got a weird nose thing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> stepdadding.com. Again, it's free information and inspiration. Uh, we've got some really wonderful videos on there. If you just want to take a quick snapshot of it and, you know, get an idea of what it's about, you can also find Stepdadding's uh, YouTube channel with all those videos as well, so it's nice and quick. Or they can go to our Facebook page, and that's just Facebook, front slash Stepdadding, and uh, you can get your daily updates there in your news feed, and if you see something that appeals to you, you can click on it and go check it out. And we cover everything from communication, and not just, hey, you need to talk, but, hey, here's how. Because I, I have a degree in communication, interpersonal communication. I know it's, it's some folks, most of us, in fact, need uh, some direction on how to start a conversation and have an effective one. So we try to do that for you. So 
so if people do that, they'll, they'll definitely get uh, a value from the time they put into it, and they'll be on, get, be on the path of getting their daily dose of keeping pointed in the right direction for success. Right. That's awesome. I think that's a great, I, I just, I love that you exist. I love that your intention is to be useful in this very challenging um, position. And, uh, yeah, I think the future is a beautiful thing if we take our time and communicate. So, yes, yes, thank you for being there, and thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And give Joey a hug. Thanks, Lynette. I think you and I have a love fest. I have the same level of appreciation for what you're doing. Keep it up. Well, that was wonderful. Stepdadding.com. Make sure you check it out if you uh, have... If you're considering getting a stepdad, <laughs> send him there. Educate him first. Um, if you are a stepdad, if you're considering becoming a stepdad, it's all good stuff. So go check it out. Um, you may have noticed this about me, but I do certainly often have people whose expertise is all in the world of autism, but I try to mix it up so that we are not just uh, in this sort of this tunnel of autism, but we are an integrated world. And so that was what today's show was. Sort of an integrated look at autism and how we handle it. And so with that in mind, it is time for Stories from the Road. Oh, I forgot to tell you guys we were going to have Stories from the Road. We are. As a matter of fact, while he was talking, it occurred to me, while Stacy was talking, it occurred to me that the most perfect thing that I could talk about right now is intention and knowledge when you come to... Uh, parenting children that are on the spectrum or are special in some way. So I adopted my special kids. And a lot of times folks say to me, wow, you must be so wonderful, how altruistic. And all that. Well, actually, let's get over that right now. And it's actually really greedy. I love kids. I wanted lots of them. <laughs> These are the ones I could get. And I really loved their difference, their quirkiness. I didn't do it to be a wonderful person. I did it because they were wonderful and I wanted them. And so I, I know that there is an enormous difference to as much as it was always challenging and when people would say to me, yeah, well, you adopted them. If I was in the middle of a problem and wanted to cry and give up, people would say, well, you adopted them. You knew what you were getting into. Well, number one, no, you don't. And even if you do know, it doesn't discount your misery in the moment um, or the challenges of raising them. But there was something true in that. I did intentionally choose it. So I wasn't dealing with some of the guilt that a lot of people have when they worry about, you know, are they um, special because I drank alcohol in the early months of pregnancy? Are they special because I ate sushi and there was mercury in it or got my teeth done or, uh, you know, the millions of things you can do to beat yourself up. So I didn't have that, and that's important. It made a very big difference and is often where I got my energy from, a lack of guilt. So if there's a story to be told in that, the story is drop the guilt. Whatever you've done, what, however you got where you are, you have a beautiful child or children. You know, you heard Joey's awesome. Everybody supports him. Every, he's changing lives just by being. My son my low-functioning son, he's changing lives just by being. My high-functioning sons are also changing lives just by being. And my never-were-diagnosed kids, it's not about that. 
So drop the guilt and just see your child. And just do the next thing, you know, whatever that next thing is. So in my case, since I, this is stories from the road, it should be a story, not a lecture. So I'll just tell you about how cute it was. So here I am. I, I fly from, so the, I was in Canada at the time. And there's a big story in that I was trying to find these kids because I had them and then they were stolen. And their, you know, their dad got out of jail and stole them back. And then they all disappeared. And there was two boys and the mom and dad disappeared. And, and she got pregnant. And then he beat everybody up. And she had a baby. And social services came to take the kids away. And he took them hostage. And the helicopters are there. And I mean, it's a huge story. Well, I'd been sending out flyers trying to find the kids, and uh, when they were apprehended finally, and I mean, it's an ugly story. I'm trying not to tell it that way, but um, when they were apprehended, there were now three kids. I'd only had awareness of two, and now there's three, and the lady calls, and she goes, and one of them's kind of autistic, and we're not sure about the rest, and um, and I just said, whatever, you know, I want them. And so here, this is how it had all come to be. So it takes a whole year of me sending letters and little books I make up and stuff. And finally, they're available for adoption. And I get on the airplane and I fly there. And the little one that I'd never met before is now a year and about a year and a half, a little under that, maybe 15 months old. And I walk into this house to meet this boy. And he, he liked to rock standing flat against a wall. And so he had sort of sandwiched himself between the fridge and the wall. And he was rocking back and forth with his head facing so that he could see anybody in the kitchen. And I walked in. He knows nothing about me. I know nothing about him except that I'm going to find him somewhere in the kitchen. And I see this boy. And he says, hi. And why that's miraculous is it was his first word. And he never spoke again for quite a few months before I could get some more words out of him. So somehow this child knew he belonged to me. And I think it's because the child I saw was just as cute as a button. I didn't see a weird kid sandwiched between a fridge and a wall rocking back and forth with, with his hair all staticky and sticking up and think to myself, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. I saw a cute-as-a-button kid sandwiched between the fridge and the wall, rocking back and forth with his hair all staticky and sticking up, and thought, oh, my gosh, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and this is a new spin on autism answers. Today's question, can you love them for who they are? And the answer is always yes. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.